Hello and welcome to For Whom the Cell Tolls. I'm your host, Keenan, joined by Scout the Pomeranian, as always. And today we're going to talk about something that's new and exciting and that we've mentioned a few times before on the podcast, but we've never explicitly covered. These are chimeric antigen receptor T-cells, otherwise known as CAR T-cells. They are one of the most, if not the most impressive therapy that's probably come out in the last decade. Now, impressive doesn't mean it has perfect results. And I want to get across that what CAR-Ts are and what they're going to become, they exist on both a therapy level and then also a pure science level. And I want to distinguish what we've seen at the clinical level and those benefits and those trade-offs and what that means for a broader world in science. So to summarize, CAR-T cells are a right now a lymphoma therapy that involves taking patient T cells, which are some of your immune cells, engineering them to fight cancer in that patient, and then re-releasing them into that patient again. And then the CAR T cells, the engineered cells, will go and fight and hunt and kill the tumor. Now, a lot of these clinical results have been extremely promising. However, there are several practical challenges. First, the engineering of these things is, you know, massive. It takes like 17 days minimum usually, something like that. The side effects of these these CAR T cells are also, they're an incredible sacrifice. I mean, they they take a lot out of patients. And I think as scientists, like I've said before, we sometimes lose the humanity of, you know, when we're working in Excel sheets full of hundreds of patients and, you know, we don't know a single story or a single name. You have to remember what patients go through when they're getting treatments like these. I mean, even standard treatments are tough for lymphoma, but CAR-Ts go to a completely different level, and we'll cover that. So let's just do a little intro, because this is actually always a fun thing to go over how we, you know, how we got to CAR-T. And that is pretty much that, you know, our immune system's been evolving for millions of years as this huge array of coordinated defenses against foreign pathogens. All kinds of stuff has been trying to invade us for, you know, millions of years bacteria, viruses, most notoriously though, are large parasites, which medicine has largely eliminated. That means that a lot of our immune system is ready to fight and attack, but there's no parasites anymore. We killed all the worms inside of us for the most part. So our immune system is, you know, we've covered very powerful. So you can basically break the immune system into two parts, the innate and the adaptive. The innate is stuff that doesn't ever need to be triggered or activated. It's just on all the time. You know, it's as simple as your skin, your mucous membrane. That keeps stuff out of you. That's part of the innate immune system. It keeps you healthy. There are specific cell types, like natural killer cells. They just go and find stuff that is clearly a bacterial um, protein or something sticking out of a bacterial cell wall or something. Because remember, our human cells don't have cell walls. They don't have LPS. They don't have... LPS is a like a, a bacterial marker, basically, on the surface of bacteria cells sometimes. And they just go and hunt things that are clearly not human. We have seen, as a caveat though, we have seen natural killer cells attack cancer cells naturally though in the past. So their capabilities are still being researched and they're a lot stronger than we previously thought. So the innate immune system can handle a lot of these smaller infections on its own. But when things get really bad, the adaptive immune system must be activated. And the adaptive immune system consists of two main pathways and several partners. B cells and T cells are the primary components of this system. 
You know B-cells from me, B-cell lymphoma, all 60 subtypes. We mainly look at diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. That's the main subtype. That's what, you know, 30 to 40,000 people a year getting diagnosed with. So we already have kind of covered, you know, in at length, sadly, sorry, that B-cells go through this very rigorous development that can often lead to cancer because you're leading in with mutations, you're copy and pasting genes into the right spot so that at the very end, you get this massive super gene that makes this massive super protein antibody. And the antibody is expressed on the surface. It goes and finds the pathogen that it is set to bind to. It matches up. And then you release a bunch, you know, millions of antibodies at the pathogen. And the antibodies cause a massive immune, targeted immune reaction at that. Now, that was born out of mainly, you know, th- foreign objects, bacteria, parasites, because your antibodies are going to go attack this large thing. On the other side, you have T cells. T cells are a little different because they were always primed and made to attack infected versions of our cells. So they're a little more specific because the changes of a virally infected cell still make it look quite a bit like a human cell. Unlike a bacteria cell, it's clearly a bacteria. There's not really a reason for us to need to distinguish that, you know, for our immune system. So what happens when pathogen usually invades is that the pathogen can be engulfed by little partner uh, macrophages and dendritic cells. These are just two types of cells that go in immediately, eat up some pathogen, and then they actually digest it inside themselves, and then they transport it to the top of their membrane so that they can show it on the top of their membrane in something called MHC class 2. They go on and activate T helper cells. Those T helper cells start the B cell process, and they start the T cell killer process. So the helper T cells they send out a bunch of cytokine signals. And remember, cytokines are these small biology signals sent from immune cells to activate or to stop or to basically control the immune system and the other immune cells. So they are very much the way that these cells speak to each other. It's their language. The the helper T cells go in and say, okay, it's time to go. Like something's here, let's get activated. Let's put energy into this process. You need to find me a T cell that binds to this pathogen that these macrophages and dendritic cells digested and brought us. So when that happens, these killer T cells can go and develop, and they'll eventually make what's called a T cell receptor. And that is a lot like, you know, an antibody, except it's just on the T cell and it doesn't ever secrete. And the TCR, as we can call it, is made up to match again to that pathogen that is coming off of a virally infected cell or in some cases a cancer cell, whatever is making that infected cell different than our cells. And that's important. There's always going to be one or two mistakes that a T cell can find and then identify the offending population. What happens is the T cell will run into the infected cell. It'll bind to the infected cell pathogen that it was trained on. And then once it binds, and it binds to a couple other partner co-stimulatory molecules, which ensure that it's a good connection, basically, then it starts to release these poisons immediately next to it. Um, One of the characteristic poisons is granzyme, and the granzyme just rips open cell membranes, and it just blows up any infected cell in the vicinity. So it's a really effective process. I mean, have you ever gotten sick, not taken any medicine, and gotten better That's usually what is happening, is your T-cells are taking some time, they gear up, they find the pathogen, and they go kill it. Now, with cancer, 
And since CAR T cells, and what we're going to talk about here, is pretty much only in lymphoma right now. I'm actually going to make a note to talk about why solid cancers don't do well. Um, they're only in lymphomas right now because lymphomas, like I've said before, they are spread throughout the body. We call them liquid tumors. They are not centralized to one great mass that, you know, is on your liver, your kidney, your lung. They are all around. Now, this is a good thing and a bad thing. There's no surgery, but on the other hand, widespread therapies do a really good job. So specifically, what CAR T-cell science does is harness that T-cell process. Now, when you develop lymphoma, somehow that lymphoma avoided activating your T-cells and making them mad. We, you know, we have our ideas why. There's a lot of ways to hide from the immune system, but for whatever reason, you've got an advanced tumor. Now, anybody who's eligible for CAR-T, this is an important point, they will have had to fail at least one or two major trusted frontline therapies. This could be the rituximab antibody plus chemo they failed. They could fail several targeted they could fail several targeted drugs that go after certain like cancer pathways. I don't I actually have to confirm this. I don't know if they can fail bone marrow transplant and then get CAR T. I actually think that those patients may not be able to have that. I'd have to look that up though. So the big thing with these is that whoever's getting a CAR-T and all this data that we're getting, it is from patients that are characteristically set up to have a very, very, very bad prognosis. There was a major paper in 2017 that covered pretty much any time that you had a relapsed or refractory case of DLBCL. Relapsed being comes back after a year or two. Refractory means just didn't even get hit by the therapy at all, and they're still bad. Basically, by year one, I'd say about 20% of people were left that had not had an event. And then that number kept going down too. And the overall survival wasn't very good either. So basically, if you fail frontline therapy for DLBCL, you're not in a good position. That's where CAR-T came in. CAR-T is essentially what we talked about with that T-cell process. And it's not a drug. It's a living drug. What we do is we take T-cells from a patient's body and we pull them out. We take them to a lab. We take DNA that is going to code into RNA. We, well, we put the DNA into the patient T-cells, right? And that gene, that DNA will integrate into the patient's T-cell DNA, but this is all in the lab. That DNA will become RNA. That RNA will become protein. That protein is something that we engineered. It is a targeted killer receptor. That receptor will go onto the cell surface of these lab T-cells. They are now CAR T-cells. Those CAR T-cells will get put back into the patient. We call them CAR T because they're chimeric antigen receptor because we designed the antigen. We designed what we're going to target this tumor or what we're going to use to target this tumor. In a lot of cases, it's going to be a molecule that's on pretty much every B-cell called CD19. Now, we'll get into why... One target isn't always going to be enough, but CD19 is pretty much on every B cell. So that's a good start for a therapy. So another caveat with this is that you can't ever just take T cells from somebody else and put them in you because your body, body will immediately find out that they're a foreign object. They're a foreign something invading you. They'll kill those T cells, but the immune reaction will be so bad it will probably kill you or at least be incredibly painful 
And that's what graft, graft versus host disease is. And you see that sometimes in transplants if the match isn't good enough. So you take these CAR T cells, they are perfectly engineered to target B cells at this point. We basically supercharge them to go and attack. So in our, in our world, the CD19, that's their target. There are new CAR Ts all the time that are being developed that target other B cell markers like CD20. Uh, I think CD22 is one of the targets coming up. But for the most part, and for what we're going to talk about, we're just looking at the CD19 ones. And the CD19 is just a good B cell marker. And there's already a lot of therapies that already targeted that. But remember, CAR T is not a therapy. It's not a drug. It's a living thing being put back into a patient. So the minute that you put these in, it's basically like putting a predator back into the environment to hunt something that's taken over, like an invasive species. The minute you put them in, these CAR Ts find all these CD19 tumor cells and they just start obliterating them. The CAR Ts themselves feed back on that signal because whenever a T cell kills something, it says, that was good, make more of me. They start multiplying and growing and spreading throughout the immune system. So they, have, they start basically taking over and mounting this massive fight against this tumor because there's tons of CD19 tumor cells. There's so many. Some patients even experience, I think, tumor lysis syndrome where you kill so many, so many B cell lymphoma cells that DNA and other materials from cells start circulating in the body and causing all kinds of problems. It's usually not deadly, but it's just a side effect of the fact that these CAR Ts are just ripping up the entire patient tumor and then part of the patient. And that's where this is kind of an issue is that any therapy that's going to target B cells as a whole, because pretty much every B cell has CD19, even the healthy ones, those patients are going to get their B cells ripped up just as much as their tumor B cells are going to get ripped up. And, you know, this isn't something that is, you know, uncommon clinically. This isn't something that's unique to CAR-T for being a bad thing. Any B cell, most of our B cell therapies they're going to hurt normal B cells. That's why you get neutropenia. That's why you get fatigue, vomiting, nausea. You're immunocompromised. You've got to wear a mask because we basically killed off a bunch of your T cells. Now, with some therapies, they can come back and everything's fine. CAR-T, on the other hand, they're pretty, they're pretty good at what they do. So you probably won't be seeing any B cells anytime soon. Okay. So I wanted to cover kind of what the results have been for CAR-T, and this has been covered in the lymphoma world for the past two years very heavily. It's kind of one of those things that people thought, okay, this therapy is another hot topic. We're going to move on. The results kind of have spoken for themselves, though. So remember that paper that I referenced that, you know, if you didn't do well in the first lymphoma therapy that we usually use, that RCHOP, you're not going to do well, like pretty much at all. Um, CAR-T cells, on the other hand, you know, if you're around that 20% range over a year, over a year on CAR-T, you're probably closer to at least 40%. And that's, that doesn't sound like a big number, but it really, really is. And one of the biggest things that we're actually getting better at is using genetics and tumor genetics, finding out what tumors are going to respond the best to CAR-T so that we don't have to give it to somebody who's not going to respond. That's actually a really big part of science is finding out who not to give a drug to. Because why would you just punish somebody's immune system or, you know, put someone through what you'll find out with CAR-T are hellish side effects if, you know, it's not going to work anyway. 
right now they're really, really good scientists all across the country doing stuff. Um, kind of the rumor right now, at least that I've heard from some of these really good scientists, is that the people that don't do well on CAR T cells, they're the ones that have B cells that will somehow mount a secondary antibody response or an immune response to the CAR Ts. Even though these T cells that were put back in patients are their own cells, they just look foreign enough with that receptor that the people that are failing have some kind of trend to be genetically predisposed to developing this immune reaction against their own CAR Ts. So if we can figure out a signature of some kind, we can tell patients when and when not to use these cells as a therapy. So, I mean, these are really good results. I, you know, you can't really argue with that. It's, you know, it's the advent of the living drug. Nobody ever really thought this could work. And then I think people actually had done this all the way back in like 2007 and people just said, nope, that's impossible. We can't, we can never put this into a patient, for example. Um, people really thought it was going to go the way of a gene therapy, which was we were using viruses to put DNA into patients and this DNA would become genes that would stop tumors. And that, that really didn't work out. So people were like, yep, don't mess with science fiction, stick to the therapies. But for better or for worse, CAR-T is still working for a lot of patients. And some of these responses are really lasting. Whereas this population of lymphoma patients usually didn't have a lasting response for just about anything. So right now though, you can imagine there are, you know, I've kind of covered this before. If you hit a tumor population with one target and it's only going to be attacking it on one thing, and right now our one thing is CD19, a tumor could be 100 million, a billion cells, you know. Some of those billion cells have probably lost CD19 just by random chance. And that's just a consequence of how B-cell tumors are. They're very heterogeneous, which means there's many different cousin-like populations within a tumor. They're not all just identical clones. They're very different wherever you go. Some incur lots of changes. Some don't incur very many changes. Some are more aggressive than others. Others aren't. In this case, you probably have some populations that don't have CD19. So after you wipe out an entire billion cells, let's say you're left with 10, you know, let's say the chances are that small of cells that don't have CD19. Well, those cells have an entire tumor skate landscape and resources everywhere because all the other all their competitors, all their cousins are gone now. So they proliferate and become the new tumor. Alternatively, there are stem-like populations that kind of sit quietly and they have a couple of genetic mistakes, and that's where the original tumor came from, and a second tumor can come from them too. Um, you know, especially if they're not expressing CD19 because they're not fully B cells, they're kind of pre-B cells. A true lymphoma person will get me on that because pre-B cell is actually a B cell, but forget about the true lymphoma people for a minute. There's too many of us. The stem cells can like reinvigorate a population. So those are two classic ways that tumors get out and CAR T's are no different. The ultimate goal, I think, is to have a CAR T that can engage two different targets at once, for example, because that would be a very rare cell that would not have two B cell targets, like a CD20 and a CD19. You know, that'd be very hard for them to not, or to have lost both of those receptors and be completely hidden from the CAR T as the CD19 loss ones are. 
So kind of the third and final thing I wanted to talk about was, well, not final, but um, CAR T's are great, but they present a massive clinical challenge and one that we've never dealt with. That is the immune reaction stimulated by CAR T is so massive that about 70 to 90% of patients are going to experience what we call cytokine storm or cytokine release syndrome. What that is, and like I talked about, are those chemical messengers that the immune system sends between the cells of itself to talk, to say, get more aggressive or calm down. Infusing CAR-Ts at the way that we do it and the way that it works, the CAR-Ts cause a massive amount of cytokines to come out and say, you know, obliterate everything, kill everything in your path. That causes your entire immune system to rally up and start killing everything it sees. And that can be you too. That can be autoimmunity. They start attacking everything that looks anything non-human. And they start attacking, you know, our self-looking proteins. It starts getting, you know, very aggressive and very bad, very quickly. And like I said, 70-90% of patients are going to experience that. Under most therapies, even immunotherapies, you don't see that high of a number. And this is not, you know, vomiting or fatigue. This is bad. This is hospital stuff. You know, you got to be ready for patients to be in the hospital for this. The second big thing, and this is this is kind of the kicker, and this is what people usually point to about cautioning about CAR T, is that the immune system reaction is also so great that an entire syndrome comes from administering CAR T. It's called CRS. CAR T cell related encephalopathy syndrome. This is when the inflammation and in the immune system gets so aggressive that your brain starts to ex- get attacked a little bit. And well, the thing is, is, we don't know if the immune system's attacking the brain or if the cytokines just cause all these issues. But basically, what happens is that when you administer CAR T, you have to have a team of people around the patient for about, you know, from the day they get the CAR T to 15 days because they will. Everybody does this. You will go into a state of delirium, confusion, sometimes paralysis, and all kinds of other neurological effects because of the CAR-T infusion. Because that immune reaction is so great, something is going on to cause this CRS syndrome. And the brain basically just kind of goes, kind of shuts off for a while. Now, everybody comes out of that. That's the thing. That's why it's a syndrome. That's why it's this unique reaction to these CAR-Ts. Everybody comes out of it. It's very, very upsetting for the patient and their families, though. It's very bad. This is beyond side effects of normal cancer drugs. Like, this is a, you know, you basically lose the person for two weeks, and they're in an ICU. So, and I mean, not to mention that the intensity of CRS is so bad, people do die from it. I'm not saying they die often. I think it's something like 2% of patients or something. But it is a very, very, very bad place to find yourself. But remember, for these patients to take a step from 20 to 40% chances of making it a year, you might do it. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to say you shouldn't, honestly. Because the other, the big challenge is that when we first started doing CAR-T, none of our clinical health professional teams that were, you know, lymphoma, hematology, oncology based, they didn't know what was happening. Nobody did. Nobody had ever seen anything like this. That's why it's got its own name. So these teams were so unprepared the first few times we did this that 
you know, we just didn't, we didn't know how to treat or handle these patients. Now we have everybody, you know, these clinical teams, you got to remember, are so good at their jobs. They've adapted so quickly to this whole thing. Um, you know, certain centers have teams that have been around a little longer than others, but the fact is we're getting very good at handling CRS and the side effects that come with a CAR-T therapy. And it's not easy. I got to tell you, like, you know, think about it for the patient and for everybody, but it's tough. So the big thing is, and like what I've tried to kind of showcase through this show is that it's, this is a very cool leap ahead in science. Clinically, it's a very cool leap too. You know, like I said, 20 to 40%, that's a huge boost in the cancer world. That's a massive boost. Um, it's not without its issues though. Obviously, like you saw, saw a living drug therapy is and will come with its own side effects challenges that while we are getting better preparing for it, they are unique and they are really bad. I mean, I, I actually didn't even mention you have to stay, I think, a two hour proximity within your within the radius of your clinical location so that if these side effects pop up within even four weeks... Um, you know, you got to go right back to the ICU because that's how bad some of these can get. So the big thing with CAR-T, and you'll hear a lot about them, you know, and, and, you know, if you have somebody with lymphoma that you know, a lot of people are starting to say, just give me the CAR-T, give me the CAR-T. And that's not exactly how it works. It's still very untested. Like I said, we're still trying to get the genetics behind who's going to respond and who's not. We're still trying to manage the clinical side effects and then comes the final kicker, the ethics of CAR-T cost. This is actually getting kicked around in the lymphoma community right now because some people are very pro-CAR-T, some are lukewarm CAR-T, and some are just basically like, who pays for this therapy? So there are major companies that essentially own the process of making a CAR-T, and so they kind of treat it like a drug. Except this isn't a chemical that you can just you know, pill and then swallow, and you can make factories that make it, you know, not that that process is that simple, but the amount of money and time that goes into a single CAR-T patient is incredible. Something around 300000 to $500,000 per patient. You got to remember where this is coming from. This is lab. This is transport. This is engineering the CAR-Ts. It's, you know, transporting them back all cold, all under good conditions to keep all those cells alive. The next thing, you have teams that are completely staffed that have to manage these side effects in an ICU, you know, in an intensive care unit that is not cheap for maybe two weeks. And then after that, you got to keep monitoring these people super closely. So after all that, that cost is going to be incredible. Um, you know, obviously, you know, that's how capitalism works, though, is that we're going to find a way to make it cheaper. And whoever makes it cheaper is going to do maybe a better job. I don't know yet. And, you know, just with how science technology always goes, things do get cheaper. Um, but right now, the idea being kicked around, like I said, is, is this ethical to even give to people that can't afford it? And one of the solutions to CAR-T cost is that if it doesn't work in the first... Um, I think three, two, three months, the company takes the hit and they're like, yep, like it didn't work. But if it works, you're going to be paying. The patient's going to be paying. This is no clinical trial situation where the companies are paying for patients to take the pill and, you know, be a part of the study. 
the cost is going to be there and it's going to be huge. Um, so that's something that we as, you know, people in cancer science, we have to figure out how are we going to make this work? But, you know, it's definitely tough. Um, it's not impossible, but we'll see. So the other thing and the other last thing I should say is that the really what CAR-T opens up is something very different. And this is what I said in the beginning of the podcast. I hope it wasn't too confusing. It opens up the possibility of these engineered cells. And what else could we use these for, right? We can engineer a T cell to go and eliminate something. can probably engineer all kinds of other cells to go and, you know, boost something, right? So what if you started making synthetic immune systems? What if we did master a way to have these come off the shelf somehow, kind of a universal T cell? What if this universal T cell came with eight little variations in a big cocktail and, you know, four of those variations were, you know, they had common tumor antigens on their targets. So they'd go and hunt around and anytime even a small tumor population starts popping up, they'd just eat it, you know? They're basically like memory T cells that would run around policing the body. And I know I say this is sci-fi, but I mean, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities. I'd say it's a lot easier and more ethical than, you know, making designer CRISPR babies or even CRISPR babies or embryos that are, you know, like happened in China, resistant to the HIV virus, maybe. Um, it's a very cool thing that we could do with these CAR-Ts and it wouldn't just be limited to cancer. You know, there's all kinds of things that the doors kind of open up with this. The fact that we are becoming engineers of our own cells and our own bodies. I think that's what we, that, that is much more the future than a genetic engineering. The genetic engineering will likely happen on our own cells and then put them back into us. So that's something I think we should really look forward to, or maybe not, maybe it'll turn out evil and doomsday will happen, but I'm not too sure. Um, I may start a, why well, I, I have a Twitter, I think for the, not for the podcast, but I think I'm just one that I've never used. I might start using that because then I could like retweet articles, talk about them and like explain stuff. So I'll share that link if I ever get to it. Oh shoot. And I had my one last note. So the reason CAR T cells, you only hear about them in lymphomas, the ones that are spread out everywhere is that solid tumors, they just don't react well. Like if you have a pancreas tumor, there's so much, there's so many cells to get to the actual tumor. There's a massive wall basically there. You just can't get to it. You can't kill enough cells to get to it. And a lot of these solid tumors are surrounded with normal cells. So we can't kill the normal cells without killing a person. So a lot more challenges ahead for CAR-T, but right now we can definitely enjoy the engineering aspect of them on the science front for all kinds of possibilities. And we can definitely enjoy the benefits that they bring patients that otherwise would have very few options. So thanks again for listening. Um, this is a bit of a long episode. I hope it was okay. And it was, you know, it was a lot of things. It was immunology. It was cancer biology. It was genetics. It was cost. It was, you know, clinic, um, clinics and, you know, epidemiology a little bit, I think. Um, but it's definitely something that, like, when I have intro students and they're like, how does this all connect? This is one of those things that someday if you want to understand, like, and, and, and change, you know, maybe if you ever want to be a part of this, it's good to have the foundations that you can build on to make the changes in something like this and create something very new. It's essentially like, you know, immunology is 
one chess piece. Genetics is another chess piece. And if you know how they move and you know how to combine them and you know how to work them, you can create something very new. So again, thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you later. Have a good one.